You understand why we've been in a series of kicking off the new year that we've been calling confident? You understand why we're kicking off a whole new year talking about this idea of being confident people in the midst of an insecure world? You understand that? It's not just so we can overcome our own insecurities, though by all means we want you to do that. I want to do that. It's not even, as we talked about last week, so you can help other people overcome their insecurities. That's not what it's about alone either. It comes down to God decided to use us to accomplish his purposes on this planet. And hear me, guys, it takes confident people to break out of their comfort zone and do what God put them on the planet to do. Insecure people can make up 27 excuses as to why they can't do what God's called them to do. Can I get an amen in the house? Can I get an oh me in the house? Because we've all been there, done that, when, Lord, you must, be, you must have somebody else in mind. You're not calling me to do that. You're not asking me, me? Are you kidding? I mean, that's kind of the way it is. Well, confident people, not confident in ourselves, but confident in who we are in Christ Jesus. What he says about us, go back and revisit the messages, or if you haven't been with us, get those messages online. Get that into your spirit, because confident living at the end of the day is not about me. It's about him. It's about bringing glory to him and accomplishing what he put us here to do. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. And then before he left to prepare heaven, he said to his disciples, go, make disciples of everybody everywhere. You, you pick up the mantle of what I came to do. You're going to be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he left. And if you've read Acts chapter 1, you know the story where the disciples were standing there uh, and, and Jesus said all those things and, and then he left. And they're standing there staring at the sky watching him go. Oh, I can imagine I'd be doing the same thing. And suddenly an angel comes and says, what are you doing staring at the sky? He gave you a job to do. Go do it. Go accomplish what it is that he called you to do. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to empower you to do exactly that. Bottom line is Christianity is not a get saved, hunker down until he comes. I grew up in that world where we sang songs like, Hold the fort for I am coming, Jesus back and still. And you love that old hymn of the church? There ain't no hold the fort stuff. We ain't hunkering down until Jesus gets here. We're taking territory. I got a few yes rights and I got a kid not. We're taking territory. Jesus said, occupy till I come. That's a military term that means take territory. So today, maybe a little, little unusual message perhaps in some ways. If you're new with us, normally we talk a lot about practical application of the Bible. We're kicking off a whole new series next week. I'm really excited about it. This is we need to talk. Don't you love it when somebody you're in relationship with says, we need to talk. I don't want to talk. Please don't make me talk. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the implications and the power of communication and how we can do that effectively. And, uh, and I hope that you'll be here. You know somebody's struggling to communicate. Then make sure they're here starting next Sunday. Let's unpack that. But today, I figure if it's good enough for Mr. Trump to do a state of the, of the nation address uh, this coming Tuesday, and it's okay for me to do a state of the church address today. Is, it, is that okay with you if we do that? What I want to do is I want to lay out for you what I believe, what our leadership team believes is the vision of where we're going uh, in the next season of the life of their church. Why would I take a whole Sunday morning to talk about vision and where we're going? Well, it's really kind of simple when you get down to it. If we're all going to go on a trip together, we better have the same destination in mind. Right? If we're going to get in a car and I want to go to Florida and you want to go to New York, we've got a problem on our hands, right? 
But if we're all decided where we're going, and then we're all pushing in the same direction, putting our shoulder to the same wheel, pushing in the same direction, then we can get there fast. And so what I want to do is I want to give you some reasons why it's so important that we share vision, some things that happen uh, when we share vision. And then I, I just want to lay out for you the vision of where I believe and where our leadership team believes we're going in the next season of the life of this church. Let me give you four reasons right quick, and we're going to get into the vision itself. First, and, the, and, and let me just throw this in for free. I didn't read this in a book somewhere. I've lived this for the last 48, none of your business years. The, these are reality, okay? I could, I could spend the day just telling you stories about this. I hope you'll just hear my voice because I don't have time to tell you all those stories that we will in time. The first thing that happens when we share a vision is vision produces passion. Vision produces passion. Say it with me. Vision produces passion, knowing that God himself has birthed something in you creates an energy. It creates a kind of like a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit is blowing in your life. It creates excitement. It creates desire. It, it creates a, a, a passion to do something, to go after it, to get it done. I can, hear, I can hear it in Paul's voice even very late in his life. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. I like the way the message paraphrases it. He says, I gave up all that inferior stuff. What's he talking about inferior stuff? Those of you that have been here in this series, what is he talking about? Inferior stuff is how we look, how much we got, how much we've accomplished. He said, I gave up all that inferior stuff so that, read it with me, I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there's any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but read it with me. Here we go. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. Late in life, Paul is saying, I got a vision. You understand what a vision is? I like the way Andy Stanley uh, defines it. He says it's just a mental image of a preferred future. The reality is you, you have a vision for your marriage right now. You've got a mental image in your mind of where your marriage will be a year from now, three years from now. Some of you are scared of where that's going. It's not a positive image. God wants to turn that around. Some of you have an image of this is what we're going to accomplish in our marriage. For you get a vision for your kids. We get visions for, for your career. Well, we have a vision as a church that I believe God's giving us, and something happens when that's a preferred future, that's a good future, and you believe that God's planted it in you. Something happens that creates this incredible energy that comes from In fact, you watch Paul. Study his life sometime, and you'll see his whole life was driven by this vision. Um, for himself and for the world. He wanted to know Jesus, and he wanted the world to know Jesus. So he went town to town to town preaching. He'd get beat up, stoned, left for dead. He'd get up, brush himself off, go to the next town. Oh, Jim, sign me up for that one. I like that one. Uh, I, I didn't say the vision didn't cost, but it pays more than it costs because Paul was so impassioned by this vision that he believed God had given him. Not only did he reach the known world with the good news of Jesus Christ in his lifetime all the way to the household of Caesar, but eventually the gospel moved west into Europe and, and in time into America and ultimately to you and me. We are beneficiaries of the vision that Paul had and the passion that it created. And now it simply is our time. Vision produced passion that created a ripple effect across the generations. Solomon wrote about it 2,800 years ago. 
Proverbs 29, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. I like the way the message paraphrases that one too. Proverbs 29, 18. Here we go. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Is that true? Here's a, here's a sad reality. Uh, uh, this breaks my heart, but it's true. 86% of American churches are smaller today than they were 10 years ago. And I guarantee you the number one reason when you walk into this church and start studying them, I've done a lot of this, I've done a lot of church consulting over the last few years, uh, is there is no single vision that unites them. Well, I think we should do this. Well, I think we should do that. Well, I think it ought to be that way. Well, if you don't do it my way, I'm out of here. And, and that lack of vision, that lack of unity around a vision ultimately sucks the passion out of them. And before you know it, they're going through the motions of church. And they ultimately die. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But, I love the second part of the verse, but they, when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Who's blessed? The ones who attend to what he's revealed. The ones who say, yeah, I want, that's my vision too. I want to be a part of that vision too. Okay, Jim, I hear you, but, but some of the ideas that I got in my head, that I, there's no way I can do that. Well, good, because there's a second thing that happens when you get unity in vision, and that is vision attracts assistance. Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your great giftedness, your financial strength, your what? Because of your partnership. Because we were in this together, in the gospel from the first day until now. Because we work together, I, I'm thankful for you. I have joy when it comes to you. Paul did have a vision of sharing Jesus Christ with the world, and he did reach the known world in his lifetime, but he did not do it alone. He did not do it alone. Most of you, if I can get personal to illustrate this, most of you know that... Uh, uh, almost 30 years ago now, Kim and I planted a church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Can I tell you the, the scariest part of planting a new church? It's a sense of if I'm responsible for all of it, I'm all by myself. It is the loneliest thing in the world. I mean, that church started with Kim and I and our three young boys sitting on the living room floor, sticking address labels on invitations to this new church that's getting started, wondering if anybody would show. I mean, coming up to the first Sunday morning of that church, I didn't know if anybody was going to show or not. We had no money. We had no members. We had people that got word we were starting and called me and said, hey, we heard you're starting a church, but, but we haven't heard where. It's because we didn't have a place. We're still looking for a place. Well, we'll send you some information in the mail when we get it. I mean, because it's, it's the scariest moment of my life, I think, in a lot of ways. I had a vision. We had a vision to reach people that still believed in God, but had given up on the church somewhere along the way. The only question is, was it enough? Was vision enough? And the answer is yes, because vision ultimately attracts assistance. The Acts 2 network that I founded a few years ago I had an exciting Sunday last week. We launched three new churches. Launched one in, in Raleigh with Stuart and April Briscoe, and they had just over 100 people and five people saved in the new church in Raleigh. We launched a church in Durham with Josh and Brooke Overton. Some of you know Josh and Brooke. Rescue Church had over 200 people in their first service last weekend and two people saved last weekend. Yeah, man. We always knew Josh had it in him, didn't we? 
Those of you that knew him well, we knew he had. God's going to do amazing things through Rescue Church in Durham, a whole city that's trying to reinvent itself and, and get alive again. They're going to be a part of that. Fort Worth, we launched a new church with Mitch and Amanda Sugg. Uh, they had 310 last Sunday with 10 people saved. In their, they started with two services. God's doing cool stuff. But hear me, in every case, they spent months and months and months building a launch team. They had people who caught their vision, sold their homes, and moved to those cities to be a part of those new churches. Why? Because there's something about vision that attracts assistance. I want to be a part of that. I see myself in that. When we launched Community Church uh, in 1989, we had 165 people uh, in that first service of the church. We did a survey that morning. 90% of them told us they did not yet have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That first Sunday, my mother drove up from North Carolina and kept a nursery. My cousin drove up from Carolina, did a little kids' church thing. Kim Well, I started to say she led the music, but nobody knew the songs because they were all unchurched, unsaved people. So basically, she did three solos that morning while they watched, you know. And I cast vision for the kind of church we were going to be. And I said, if you see yourself in this vision, uh, then come back. I don't have any money or members or this little daycare center we're in. That's all we got. But if you see yourself in this vision, come back. And 127 people came back the next week. Started organizing teams, started getting people organized to do what it was God called them to do. We grew to 1,000 in the first seven years. There's just something about a God-originated vision that produces passion and attracts assistance. The third thing I see and have seen over the years is vision creates community. There's this sense of community that forms when people are working together to accomplish something they believe God has called them to accomplish. Here's the description of the early church the day it was born. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. You get the picture. It's 120 of them in a prayer meeting. Went on apparently for about 10 days. I don't know about you, but I've been in church work long enough to know they didn't pray for 10 days. Get 120 people in a room. They they did some fellowship dinners. They did some disagreements. Let me hug your necks. Conversations. You know, they had a whole lot of stuff going on as they prayed and spent these 10 days together. But the Bible says when they came to that place where they were in what's the phrase? One accord. That's when the Holy Spirit showed up. That word one accord in the Greek is the word. It's actually one word. It's the word homothumadon that literally means to be of one mind, to be in agreement. Hear me, guys. Unity is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of agreement. I know some churches that there's no conflict there. They all get along fine. They like each other, but they're not going anywhere. They're not doing anything. They're not making a difference in their world. That's not unity around a vision. That's just a ceasefire. Presence of agreement produces the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. And so the presence of agreement ushered in the Holy Spirit, and he did not come. He did not come until they came into agreement. 
And when he did, the church exploded on the scene. 3,000 were saved that first day, 5,000 soon after. Some scholars say that as many as 100,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ in a matter of a few months. You talk about a big church. This thing exploded on the scene. And as you read on in Acts chapter 2, before long, you see them learning together and worshiping together and sharing their resources with one another. You see them banding together to meet needs outside of the church. And the result was they got favor in the city where they were, and God began to add uh, numbers to them. But it all required that they come into agreement around what Jesus called them to do and what he told them to go pray for, Matthew 18, 19, and 20. I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, I am with them. That word agree is so powerful in Scripture. It's, it's the idea of we're all playing from the same sheet of music. We're not playing the same parts. We're not making the same sounds, but, but we're working in harmony with one another. Anybody ever seen a symphony before? You, you've seen a symphony? God bless that hand. I don't see any hands. You've seen a symphony. You've heard a symphony. Yeah, that's right. You know. And so what's a symphony? They all play the same instrument? No, there's lots and lots of different instruments, and they all have different plates. So what unites them? They're all playing the same sheet of music, Right? And the conductor steps out and taps his little baton on this thing right there and says, okay, guys, here we go. And he sets the pace and the time, and here they go. They're all playing from the same sheet of music, and they start playing this amazing sound. You know what makes a symphony so powerful? Is when they are playing in perfect harmony, there is actually, it's what scientists tell me, there, there is actually a sound that is created that none of them are playing. It's called Harmonics. This idea that they come together, and, and because they're in such perfect harmony together, there's actually something, there's a sound that everybody can hear. That's why symphonies sound so full. It's not because they got microphones and sound systems and speakers. Oftentimes they don't. But there's this sound that is created that did not, was not played by anybody in the room. Well, that's what I'm talking about, guys. When we get to that place where we are in unity around a single vision and we have a sense of what it is that God's called us to do and we're all working together to accomplish that vision, there is a sound that is created. There is a voice that is heard that none of us are saying. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit that's speaking in the house, and that's when churches accomplish great things. But did I mention the Holy Spirit doesn't come till we're in agreement? Something powerful happens when we come into agreement. There's this sense of community, this sense of working together. Ultimately, vision produces or promotes personal growth. Yes, it produces passion. It, 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 it attracts assistance. It creates community. But at the end of the day, for each of us personally, it promotes personal growth. Hear me. Whatever God's vision is uh, for our church or you who make it up, we who make it up, it, it, it will help you. No, let me rephrase that. It will require you to grow. If the vision is from God, you can't get there from here. Aren't you glad you came to hear what I had to say today? It's not possible. Why? Because God doesn't give us visions to get us to do stuff. He spoke and the world came into existence. What exactly does he need us to do? 
He gives us visions that stretch us beyond ourselves, that causes us and requires us to find a way to work together in unity, to die to ourselves in order to be in unity with one another, in order that the Holy Spirit would show up in our lives, in order that we would rise to a higher level and we would become something a little more like Jesus. You see, the more you focus on him, the more like him you become. Can I give you another side trip, nothing extra? You eventually begin to resemble who you rehearse. If you're constantly rehearsing somebody that hurt you, you will wake up one day and find yourself doing things like they did. We begin to resemble who we rehearse. Vision requires us to rehearse Jesus. Vision requires us to say, oh, Lord, okay, I believe you called me. Here I go. Ah, I need you. The focus then is on him. The focus is on prayer. The focus is, Lord, I need you to go before me. I need you to go in me. I need you to fill me up. I need you to carry me through this because I cannot do this by myself. That's the point. Vision produces passion. It attracts assistance. It creates community. Ultimately, it produces or promotes personal growth because you can't get there without growing in yourself. And there's lots more reasons I could get, but, but I want to get into it. I want to get into the vision. I promise to let you go on time. So let's talk about the vision. Where are we going as a church? Um, the book of Habakkuk talks about a time in the nation of Israel when, when they had lost their way, when they had lost their vision, when they'd lost unity around what God had called them to do and who he had called them to be. The result is that, that false worship had slipped into the nation. Uh, they began to neglect the things of God. The result is the leaders became corrupt, started fighting among themselves and never really accomplishing anything because they were so busy jockeying for power. People lost their moral underpinnings and and the nation of Israel started doing things they never dreamed they would, certainly not in line with, with who God is. And the result is ultimately that they became vulnerable to the attack of their external enemies. Am I talking about Israel or America? Anybody see the parallels? Habakkuk understood that the only way they were going to turn that thing around is if they got a fresh vision from God. And so Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, I will climb up to my watchtower and I will stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says. I will wait to see what the Lord says. Now, a little detail here. Uh, why is he waiting to see what the Lord says? Wouldn't you wait to hear what the Lord says? I think it's because vision really is an image quite often. It can, it, it, words begin to fail us when we try to describe a vision. I'm going to try in the few minutes we've got left this morning, but at the end of the day, what I want you to do as I walk through this is I want you to try to see a picture of the kind of church that I believe God's called us to be, and most importantly, I want you to see yourself in that picture. I want you to ask yourself the question, do I see myself walking in agreement with a group of people that are becoming that kind of church? I've been trying to do for the last, really the last 18 months that I've been here as your pastor, um, I've been trying to do what Habakkuk did. I've been trying to hear from God. I've spent a, a lot of time in prayer. And, and, uh, and while I'm here on stage with you and while I'm 
sharing with you on personal levels. I've tried to be open with I've tried to be transparent. I've tried to show you who I am. I shared my grief with you as transparently as I knew how. I've tried to live a life of integrity to earn your trust. But all the while I've been listening, I've been praying, I've been waiting to see what God would say as I sought God for a vision for the next season of the life of this amazing church. Over the past few months, that's been taking on clarity, which led me to the next instruction God gave. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. I want you to wait. I want you to listen. I want you to vision. I'm going to give you a vision. And once I give it to you, what I want you to do with it, I want you to write it down, and then I want you to be a runner that takes it. Several weeks ago, I took what I'm going to share with you this morning to our staff. I, I took it to our board of elders. And I said, guys, I want you to process through this with me. I want you to think about it, pray about it. Let's talk about it. I want you to come into unity. All of the lead pastors from our other locations, we all came together in unity. And I'm excited to tell you now that this is not just Jim's vision. This is the vision of our entire staff and our elders. We're working together to accomplish this. I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity now to step into it and become a part of it. In fact, I want to be that runner that he talks about. But more importantly, I want to deputize you to be that runner. I want to make it as clear as I know how so that we can go forward sharing the vision. So as I share this, I simply want you to see, your, see if you can see yourself in the picture that's created. Okay? Let's walk through it. Six paragraphs, all summarized in one statement that's familiar to us all. We'll walk through it. It'll be on the screen. So this will be a great time to use the Bridge NC app. If you haven't done that before, I encourage you to do it. It would be a great time for you to, to write us, info at bridgechurch.cc, and we'll send you the manuscript so you can have it. This is going to be posted on the walls in a few weeks. You're going to see this everywhere as we start to lean into this vision of who we're becoming as a church. Uh, for now, I just want you to listen and picture. See if you see yourself in it. And if you do, let's go do this thing together. The Bridge is a vision of a community of people. I didn't say a place, a set of people. The church is the ecclesia, the called out ones, the assembly. It's a people. The church is a people, not a building. It's not even a single location. It's a people. And here's how you describe those people. Read it with me. From every walk of life and background who are fully devoted to following Jesus Christ together. One more time, let's do it out loud. From every walk of life and background who are fully devoted to following Jesus Christ together. Who does every walk in, of life and background include? Is it every socioeconomic group, rich, poor, middle class? Somebody say yes. Is it every educational level? Finished high school, hadn't finished high school, PhD, whatever? Is it, yeah. Every ethnic group? Yeah. Uh-huh. How about every age group? Yeah. How about that? How about every level of spiritual maturity? I'm not even sure I believe what you guys are saying, but I'm willing to listen all the way to I'm a f fully developed, fully mature follower of Christ that's using my gifts and helping others. What unites all of that diversity? Go back to the statement. What does it say? What unites it? So we're all devoted to following Jesus. He's our leader. We're following him. Now, is that a crazy dream? I mean, come on, guys. We live in the South. Is that a crazy dream? Maybe it is. But I believe that's what God's calling us to do. And I see beginnings of that already. Don't misunderstand me. I see beginnings of that. But, but I need to be clear when I say every walk of life and background, a community from every walk of life and background, I'm not talking about 
Forgive me if this is blunt, but I'm not talking about a white church that welcomes blacks, Hispanics, and Asians. I'm talking about a community with every ethnicity. I'm not talking about a, a church that's, that's older but welcomes young people because they know the church will die if we don't get some young folk in here. Come on. I'm talking about every walk of life and background at every stage. I'm talking about bikers and bankers worshiping together. I'm talking about cops worshiping with the guy they arrested last year and then led to Jesus and are discipling them now. That's what I'm talking about. Come on. Pastor Farrell used to say, I'm talking about a guy who got here who's barely sober enough to have driven. Hope he sobers up before church is over. Right? community that celebrates diversity has a deep desire to follow Jesus, unites them. Unites them. Are there some people who will say, if that's where you're going, I'm not going with you? I hope not, but maybe. But here's what I found. When we unite our hearts around that idea, that vision, that picture from God, it's amazing what a small band of people can do. Second paragraph. It's a community of people who have in their hearts a biblical spirit of being producers in the kingdom of God and not just consumers. A generous community honoring God with their time, talents, and treasures to serve others as they are being served. The idea is I didn't just come to get, I came to give. And I know that as I give, I'll get. But I'm not giving to get, I'm getting to get so I'll have more to give because I'm a giver at heart. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about giving our time, giving our talents, giving our treasures. We're, we're talking about a spirit of culture of generosity that breaks the back of this consumerism that has invaded the church in America. I like that song. I don't like that song. I like that preacher. I don't like that preacher. Boy, preacher did a good job today. I think he'll come back next week. That consumerism if you do things my way, I'll stay. If you don't do things my way, I'm going to go find one that does it my way. That consumerism that has invaded the church is not biblical Christianity. This idea of being producers in the kingdom of God, so becoming an owner here, which we encourage you to do, is not just, hey, put my name on the roll. It's, hey, I want to move from the passenger list to the crew. I want to be a part. Ephesians 2.22, in him you are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. You know what that suggests to me? It suggests to me that the Holy Spirit doesn't just fill you. The Holy Spirit fills us. When we dwell together in unity, we become the dwelling place where the spirit of God lives. So you're joining a serve team. You're you're getting into the leadership pipeline that we talked about last week and you're starting to find your leadership niche and you're leading others. You're, you're taking the ownership class and you're saying, I want to be a part of this thing. You're getting in a bridge group and building community and relationships with others. The third paragraph. The bridge is a community of people who provide a hospital for the hurting where the hopeless, the discouraged, the depressed, the frustrated and the confused find love and acceptance, help and hope, forgiveness and guidance and encouragement, a place where you can belong before you believe. I think that's what we're doing pretty good with. But there's plenty more to be done. And I know for some people I hear it every now and then. Yeah, I like the phrase, but I don't know what it means. People ask me, what, what does this belong before you believe thing even mean? And they'll stumble to try to express it. So let me make it clear for you. Here's how Jesus put it, Matthew eleven twenty eight: 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you 
rest. The church was called to be a hospital for the hurting. Well, you got sick people who need to get in the hospital. Unfortunately, the church has become a health spa for the healthy. We, 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 we allocate our resources, we do our programming, we plan our calendar, we stress, we structure things all around. How do we make sure that the people here are happy? Well, I'm sorry, happiness is overrated. And there's people on their way to hell. I ain't got time. Thank you for responding that way, by the way. I just kind of put it out there, didn't I? But when we get this idea that we are, in fact, a hospital for the hurting, and hurting souls are going to come in here, and they're going to need help, and they're going to need hope, and, and they don't have any, and they're going to need forgiveness, and they're going to need encouragement, and we're chomping at the bit to give it to them because somebody gave it to us when we got here. That's belong before you believe. Here's how Paul put it, Romans 15, 7, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you. How did Jesus accept you when you got your act together? No, he accepted you just the way you were. And then he helped you to grow. He loves you just the way you are. He loves you too much for you to stay the way you are. He wants you to grow. That's what belong before you believe means. It's a community of people who, come on, who share the good news of Jesus Christ with the thousands of unchurched residents of eastern North Carolina and beyond. I don't know if you know this or not, but Bill Rose over at First PH and I have been talking and doing a little bit of research. We've come to the conclusion that there are 70,000, 70,000 people in Wayne County alone that never darken the door of a Christian church. In Wayne County alone. And I don't know if it's clicked for you guys or not, but we're not just a Wayne County church. And all the Johnston County members said amen. And all the Sampson County members said amen. And all the, right? In fact, we've got a little map. And we put together, because we're a multi-site church. Uh, most of you know that we're in Princeton. Obviously, I hope you know we're in Princeton. You, you know that, right? That's where we are. And we have uh, the Goldsboro locations now running 320, 350. Uh, the Mount Olive locations running close to 200. We're in the process of, of, of starting bridge groups west of I-95. In fact, I'm leading it personally. And, and we've got 20, I think, 20. Some of my bridge peeps are here. I think we've got 19 or 20 signed up for group this time. So we're going to be birthing into two groups. And I believe that in time, that's that's going to get large enough, we're going to plant somewhere west of I-95. And that's just the beginning. I see during my time with you guys uh, somewhere in the 8 to 10 locations of the bridge spread across this state and beyond. Why? Because there's so many people who desperately need Jesus. But just in this map alone, just in those, that circle around those four circles that you see, there are 400,000 people who never darkened the door of a Christian church. And we haven't even gotten into Raleigh and the high populations. Well, we ought to go to the high population areas. Well, you hang a shingle somewhere. Go to Chinky Pin. <laughs> and you'll find hundreds of people that desperately need Jesus. Are you with me? Here we go. It's a community of people whose vision extends beyond its own reach. By serving existing churches, starting new locations, by traveling on mission trips, both locally and abroad. In other words, we're not here to build a church. Nothing we ever do is about building a church. Somebody say it with me. We're not building a church. Come on. We're not building a church. We're building the kingdom of God. Uh, this church, big enough, all of us could quit a long time ago. It ain't about that. never has been. It wasn't when Pharaoh was here. It's not now that I am. It's not. 
is about reaching people for Christ. But I do see us going out more. I see us more involved. Now, I'm excited about what we do. I don't know if you even know it or not, but, but our mission's budget for this year is $152,000. We're supporting 33 missionaries around the world. Those are exciting things that are going on. we got teams that go to Kentucky. You get your sub ring, and all that money goes to help fund the Kentucky team. I 50, 60-plus people that go to Kentucky and minister in those areas. Uh, and then we've got the team that goes to Belize. Well, I believe that's just the beginning. I see teams going from this church all over the known world, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and then coming back. I see us do more than giving. I see us more than writing checks. I see us going into all the world to make disciples like Jesus said. And sometimes we'll be helping to expand the influence of this church, and other times we'll be helping somebody else expand the influence of theirs. Because it's not about building a church. It's about building the kingdom of God. Final paragraph. The bridge is a community of people that's more than a church. It's a movement making an eternal difference in people's lives, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and socially, through the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I believe with everything in me that God is doing something in these last days. We sang about it this morning. I think Jesus is coming soon. I may not finish this message. I'm not sure what, it, what has to happen other than the father look at the son and say, okay, it's time. But he's not slow in keeping his promise to return. He's patient so that no one would perish. I believe God's starting a movement uh, to win as many people to Christ as possible in these last days. We have the opportunity. We are uniquely positioned as a church to make a difference beyond the scope of our own ministry. Most of you know I've been asked to coordinate the efforts for church planting for the International Pentecostal Holiness Church. I said, okay, as long as you don't have to leave the bridge because the bridge is my priority. We're going to be planting churches like the bridge all over the country. And, and we may never know those people to this side of eternity, but I believe God's going to do something amazing. This is more than a church. It's a movement. And I personally think it's worth investing our one and only lives and the, the summary statement then is familiar to all of us. It is, this is a community that is giving life by giving Christ. Say it with me. We are giving life by giving Christ. And every time you say that phrase, we are giving life by giving Christ, remember there are six paragraphs. You may not memorize them, but there are six paragraphs behind that statement. Unpack it, learn it, lean into it. Luke nineteen thirteen. Jesus said, occupy till I come. That's what he's called us to do. Habakkuk 2.2, let's go back to that and I'll close. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. How long is it going to take for this to come true? I have no idea. In fact, I tell people all the time, if you look at my track record over the years as a pastor and church planter and and missionary, um, I seemed to be okay at hearing from God and getting a vision of where he wants us to go. I stink at timing. <laughs> it's just, it always takes longer than I thought or it happens sooner than I thought. I just stink at timing. So I ain't worried about the timing. We're just going to go till Jesus comes. We're just going to go after this thing till Jesus comes. And, and, and I'll say this as directly and as personally as I know how, and I, I promise I'll hush. Um, 
I don't apologize for suggesting that it may well be the, the spiritually most important thing you do in your life to invest in this vision. Short of leaving your own family to Christ, that's the most important. I don't apologize for that because I'm giving the rest of my productive life to it. I'm asking you to let's go together. Let's do this thing. Let's make a difference in our times with the time that we have left. Amen. If you're with me, would you stand now and let's pray together. Daunting task before us, Lord. Some of these things are already rolling here, and we see it already happening. Some of this stuff, I don't know how you get there from here. But here we stand in agreement that this is what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be, and we're going to do our best, our individual best and our collective best to become that kind of church. Unite us around this vision, and when we come into agreement, empower us by the Holy Spirit, and we'll give you all the glory for what you do. With your heads bowed for just a minute, would you pray a prayer with me? You can pray it silently if you like, but pray it in your own words if you like, but would you pray a prayer with me? Jesus, I'm yours. Forgive me for being a consumer for focusing so much on my own needs. I'm yours. Use me in a way that will glorify your name and make a difference in my time. And if you've called me to do that at the bridge, then help me to lean into that, commit to that, demonstrate that in the way I give time, talent, and treasures. If you call me to do it somewhere else, then lead me to that place, and I'll do it there. But I am yours. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I dare say there may be somebody in this room or watching online, you've never prayed a prayer like that in your life, and it's, it's a little scary. It's a little overwhelming even. Some of you have never said, Jesus, I'm yours. this is your first time, would you pray a prayer with me? It's your first time to pray a prayer like that. Would you just say this simple prayer? Jesus, let my past be my past. Let my future be defined by the commitment I just made. I want to do life your way. Forgive me for the ways I didn't before. Give me a fresh start today. New life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The altars are open. Some of you may need to pray with somebody, want to pray with somebody before you leave here today. Take advantage of your opportunity. Come to these altars, and folks, would love to pray with you today. God bless you for coming. Next Sunday, we're kicking off a new series. I hope you'll be a part of that. God bless you as you go. Be safe as you travel.